Welcome to another episode of The Artistic Director with Jacob Alexander Ferg. I am sitting here with Deanna Flesher. How are you doing? Good. Did I pronounce your last name right? Nope. Nope. Damn it. <laughs> the, the, the Y throws everything off. It's Fleischer. Fleischer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's Fl- Fletcher is what I'm used to, and so I'm thinking it's like this middle ground between uh, Fleischer and so. I'm already being incredibly unprofessional. No worries. <laughs> um, so, Deanna, for the listener who is not familiar with you, can you give a brief uh, performance history of, uh, of whatever brought you to be where you are right now? Well, I, I'm a comedy artist uh, who's primarily interested in audience inclusion, physical absurdism, the ridiculous, the sublime. Um, <laughs> I teach and coach people who are doing you know, comedy that kind of starts in the body on their shows, and I have a show that I have toured with for several years, which is audience inclusive and uh, weird, <laughs> called uh, Butt Kapinski. That's a little bit about me, and I run, uh, and I run a workshop called the Naked Comedy Lab, which is kind of a hub for the development of this kind of comedy. Yeah, and it's fantastic. I've taken your workshop a few times, so I like to start early in this podcast. I like to ask this big ambiguous question, mm-hmm. uh, and please answer it however you wish. But what is your artistic direction? Uh, I'm really interested in the possibilities of theater to be more than two dimensional. So I'm interested in creating experiences for an audience rather than a passive, uh, I'm sitting in a chair watching something. I like, I like to think about how are the ways in which we can be a more three-dimensional art. So what, what do you mean by two-dimensional and three-dimensional? Um, I mean the difference between like, what is it when when there's just bodies on stage and they have no connection to you as an audience member and you have no connection to them and so you sit in a chair and you watch them and you laugh or you engage you know to whatever extent you feel like engaging and then you get up and leave um as opposed to either the performers are somehow engaged with you in some way or they there are things that you can do as part of the show that help enhance the show or enhance your experience of the show I guess that's what I mean. Okay, cool. I, and Butt Kapinski is a prime example of that. Yeah. When you're interacting with an audience, um, that's such a wild, untamed sort of field to go into. Mm-hmm. H- how do you play with the ever-changing presence of the audience if you are choosing in your theater to engage with the audience in such a heavy manner? Well, I think that we, ha- we have to not think about the audience as one big mass of faceless like we have to stop thinking about them as like just one big thing and we have to think about them as individuals who are all having a very different experience of us and we can all have very different experiences of each of them and so i think like i think that's it i'm just i'm just interacting with people okay where i'm curious but kapinski is a very interesting show what were the forces that led you to creating but kapinski Um, I've always been, so the concept of the show is that, um, I'm like a bad private detective and I'm wearing a street light strapped to my back, which is the only light in the show. And so, uh, I make a a murder mystery basically starring the entire audience. And, uh, I, you know, I think that comes from my interest in film noir and murder mysteries and my interest in kind of DIY culture and like maker kind of culture and uh i get just what i was saying in terms of like 
I, I wanted to engage with audience members. I think I was sick of engaging with other actors. So I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to make theater with the people who were in the room uh, who weren't necessarily prepared for that. Yeah. So. Yeah, because it's, it's certainly, it's a, you go in expecting a one-person show. And right. What you get is, it's not a one-person show, it's you're just directing the entire group of people. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. And in a way, you're assembling the audience uh, under an artistic direction. I haven't even thought about it. That's it, really cool. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, I like. I mean, I think on a good day, it feels like I'm conducting like a yeah. very weird orchestra. <laughs> yeah, and, and you really, I, you try to get at least every member of the audience interacting at least once. Yeah. 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 I try. There's there's at least one part in the show where I ask everyone to play. I mean, like you know, there are assholes who are like, I'm not playing. Who just yeah. sit there, and I'm not going to call them out. But like in general everyone does at least one thing in the show yeah, yeah. because the, yeah the thing that was communicated to me to me the first time I saw it was that uh, you're not safe in right. whatever seat and that yeah. already is setting this tone that sort of I don't know j- just it, it makes you go into the theater space in a different light and yeah then it's like, right like, and I mean like that's something that that's very conscious on my part like I ask people I ask door people Tell people as they're coming in, sit anywhere you like, but no seat is safe. And that immediately does something to mm-hmm. audience members. Usually it makes them like more afraid than I think they need to be. <laughs> but yeah. I think that it, it does energize them. And I think that that's cool. So you have uh, so, so you have this style. This, uh, but, but Kapinski is this very uh, yeah, film noir clown stylization, I'll mm-hmm. say, if I... That's, I think, doing it a little bit of a disservice, but that's just mm-hmm. in a general. And you've done some collaborative performance before uh, where you have uh, other individuals sort of... It's engaging in clowning. And I'm curious... One of the things that I'm curious about artistic direction is the responsibility of the artistic director to... Um, I, I've really been enjoying the word invoke uh, some sense from the whole entire cast that was like... You, you can lift yourself to follow this artistic direction. Uh, my curiosity is, how, what are ways in which that you can invoke this sense from a cast? People ask me a lot about my training, and I, I mean, I, I've trained, you know, in theater, in comedy, and all those things, but I think that, honestly, my best training to be both a performer and to be a director is from being a high school English teacher. I learned a great deal about how to get a room full of like basic so so I taught I taught prep school in New York City. And so I was working with kids who were like probably better than your average high school student in terms of like, you know, there there's a general level of motivation in the room. Not necessarily like they're not it's not their top choice to be in your English class. Like there might be one or two people who are like, this is my life, but mostly (laughs) like they'd rather be getting high or like playing a sport or whatever, but they're there and they're not, they're not there to make your life hell, but they also are not necessarily there to be inspired unless you inspire them. And I think that that, I think that that has been a really good prep for an audience. Cause I think that audiences themselves are like, they're there, they bought a ticket so they're not there to make your life hell, but they also need coaching yeah. to be truly inspired. Now, I think that that's, and I think that casts are a little bit, casts are like your best student, right? Yeah. They really want, they really want to be inspired, but everybody still needs uh, something. And I think that like your question about like, how do you invoke, how do you invoke inspiration? Yeah. Uh, I think it's, you know, I think there's a magic cocktail of a lot of things. I think that like your uh, enthusiasm for your subject matter mm. 
can be infectious. I think that there are there are sort of oogie boogie like ways of you know how do you control your own breath? How do you control mm-hmm. your own vocal modulation? How do you how do you engage energetically with the other people in the room and how do you let them know that you see them and that you are addressing them in a very specific way? How do how does everyone feel talked to and felt and seen? You know, and I think I mean I, I'm sure it's something that like you know. It's something that I continue to work at. I don't think it's something that you like are perfect at, but I, yeah. I think it's something that I have some experience. You know, it's something I've been doing for a while. So yeah. I think about that stuff, and I, I think, I mean, like, I think in general, teachers and and maybe directors, but like definitely teachers, don't think enough about the performative aspect of what they do. Interesting. I mean, I I think that good performers often make. They make at least interesting, watchable teachers. I mean, like, people who are in a classroom like to have something engaging in front of them. Yeah. That doesn't mean... I mean, I've seen a lot of teachers who are really good at performing, but but don't have that kind of, like... You know, they have an ego, or they have their yeah. own sort of self-involved thing, so that makes them sort of a dynamic thing to watch, but, but you don't necessarily feel engaged by that. So I think yeah. that there's two things, hopefully, that are working... For both directors and teachers and, I guess, performers, too. Like, both something that's sparkly. You know, you want to be a sparkly thing. And you want to be a sparkly thing that has some reach. Yeah. Yeah. And so, when you're engaging with a cast or with students, actually, I really like this comparison of students. I think one of the things that you can do is be engaging yourself. And that helps your cast become engaged. Absolutely. Um, I think that's probably the biggest step. There's still, uh, I I think there's still sometimes where you have to sort of reach over that level of just being engaged because some people are either distracted by what is in their day or they're nervous about being actually in the space. Yeah. Uh, Is there a way that you can sort of tend to that, uh, element of the cast that brings them up to the level of engagement. So I think it's also really interesting to draw on um, the, the the beautiful work of the BDSM community, okay. right? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the BDSM kink world is a really interesting place to learn about, I think, dominance and consent. That world has, um, has some really great, like, I feel like concepts of consent have been, you know, that's something that's a really hot topic now, but yeah. I think like the BDSM community has been working with that concept of consent for a long time yeah. in really interesting codified ways. Uh, that's just one example. And I think that also the idea of I'm going to dom like, so, so for example, if you enter into, um, you know, a dominant submissive relationship with someone, there is first, there is the consent of like, you are agreeing to be dominated? Okay, then I'm going to dominate you with your consent for your own good. And I think that I I think about that a lot in terms of uh, directing and, mm. and teaching. Like, these people have chosen to be dominated by me, and then it's my job to dominate them. That's, well, yeah, that's yeah. definitely... <laughs> yeah, and it's my job, and it's my job to, like, uh, and it's my job to be more... I don't, you know, I don't sexually harass people, Yeah. you know, but I think that, like... You have to like you have to get them by their genitals, like energetically yeah. speaking. Like you have to you have to you have to let them know like I'm gonna go there with you. Yeah. And I, I mean this that sounds probably like way worse than it is. Like yeah, I don't I, I, I've never I, touched anybody. I've never you know what I mean. Like I'm not like I'm not like that. You know I I don't I don't literally bring concepts yeah. of like kink into my teaching um, or my coaching. But I think that like I, I think that energy is in the room. Yeah. That energy of like 
we're here and we are stripped down in, you know, we are, uh, we are naked in our desire to like control yeah. and be controlled for the good of everyone in the room. Yeah. And you're not fucking around when you're teaching. And I'm not fucking around. Yeah. It yeah. Is, yeah. That, and that mm-hmm. energy, that level of engagement is, uh, completely infectious. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm, I'm curious about how did, how did the way that you go through the naked comedy lab sort of develop? And I'm, I'm very interested in your teaching style because it's, I'll, I'll maybe maybe you'll agree with this, but I'll say it's uh, compassionately aggressive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And, and that's I mean I think that that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Like Is, like you've you've you know I treasure the I treasure the control that you've placed with me, and so I'm gonna take advantage. I'm gonna take full advantage <laughs> of it yeah. for your for your yeah, own for good. Your good. It's for not, your own good yeah. and like with your and 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 being sensitive to your limits. Yeah. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do this for you. Yeah, yeah. It's with because I truly feel it's with the student's best intentions in mind. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes people receive that aggressive coaching maybe as not that. Uh, is there a way that you can, I guess, speak to that? That's not really a question. I think that I get a. I think I get away with it. I have a. I have a much higher success rate than I might if I was a man. Well, I mean, that's not necessarily true. Like, I know that for myself, I don't need to, I don't need another, like, man, especially like a white, straight man to dominate me. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't need to take uh, workshops or be directed by any more straight white men in my life. I just don't. (laughs) It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with people who do need that or who straight white men who want to direct. I just, for myself, I'm like, I've had enough of that. Yeah. And I'm interested in either if I'm a performer uh, being dominated by a different force or providing a different kind of dominance to other people. Yeah. I hope that a greater diversity of people get into the business of, you know, directing and, <laughs> and dominating because yeah. I think that it's it's better for everyone yeah. when that's the case. In terms of like when, when I meet resistance, I mean, so... I don't, like I said, I don't think I meet it as much as some people might because I think that like, I think that people sense that, you know, I think I've been, I've been, you know, I'm very lucky. Like I've been in some kind of teacherly role for 20 years. I've been teaching something for 20 Mm -hmm. years. And so it's like, it's not, you know, it's not a lifetime, but it's like enough time to be practicing my craft that it's like. I think I don't have as much ego invested in it as I did when I when I was when I started it 20 yeah. years ago, right? It's not as it's not I'm not desperate. I don't need everyone to love me. I don't need everyone to like tell me I'm the best teacher or director ever. And I know that my I know what my strengths are and I know the things I need to work on and like I move ahead with it and you know, it's it's my craft. So I think that most people sense like this person is not uh, completely absorbed in her own ego right now. Yeah. This person seems excited about me and my progress and and is dealing with me as an individual so i think i don't get as much resistance as i might occasionally i do but it's interesting the way it comes up like i had a guy i had a guy show up to my workshop and like he was not very physical like he was clearly not very in his body and he hurt himself during the warm-up which i feel badly about and uh and so he kind of limped out of the room and he didn't come back and i think it was on he, he had the excuse of like I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put pressure on my foot again or whatever. But, like, obviously, if he had loved it, 
you know, I've worked with people on crutches. I've worked with people in wheelchairs. Like you yeah. don't need, you don't need to like have full use of your limbs to do my workshops. So I think that like he, he had a resistance to the material. I could feel that I was pushing him in a way that was like, he wasn't used to being pushed. Yes. And so he was like, ah, I'm injured. I'm not coming back. You know? Yeah, so that's, so sometimes I see that. It just, it sucks because that, that disengagement takes you away from any opportunity that you can possibly have. Yeah, I mean, well, people are where they are. And, yeah, like, you can't, true. you know, you can only walk someone across the bridge who's at the bridge. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a great way yeah. uh, to say that. I'm, I'm curious, so I, I got a flyer for you, uh, and there was a, or f- from you, uh-huh. uh, for the Naked Comedy Lab. Uh-huh. And there was a, it was, there was a, se- several descriptions of, your workshop but one of those descriptions was spiritual uh-huh. uh, which is <laughs> which is an interesting there's a lot of weight on top of that mm-hmm, word mm-hmm. Um, but I think you talking about not having ego involved in it is at least for me that that's where my connection to mm-hmm. like a spiritual experience mm-hmm. is, is dissolving this ego and mm-hmm. you don't really need to you don't really need to be there to impress mm-hmm. anyone you just need to be yourself I've never heard of a comedy workshop using the word spiritual to describe itself yeah i mean i think and i think that part of that is i mean i guess part of that is like i'm interested in in using words in my marketing to access the fact that i know for me this kind of comedy the revelation of this kind of comedy was a really spiritual experience because i went from i went from feeling the wall of like i mean i think like i kind of came you know as a trained in comedy like i did a ton of improv And I think there's a lot of, you know, don't even get me started on sort of like a lot of the limits with how improv comedy is taught Hmm. these days. (laughs) I kind of want to get you started. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. But like, so, so I came from a lot of, from feeling a lot of frustration with improv comedy. And then when I discovered Clown, which I mean, just for, for listeners who don't necessarily know what theatrical clown is, the definition is it's not about makeup. It's about uh, connection with the audience and having the audience laugh at you rather than with you. So you're not using your brain to make jokes that the audience can go, ha, ha, ha. You're being the joke. So the audience is like, ha. Like that is a di- <laughs> it's a different level of laughter. I agree. Because you are kind of like, you're the Christ figure, if you will. <laughs> you are sacrificing your own dignity yeah. for the purpose of delight. Hell yeah. And, um... The for me the that experience like and being able to control that experience and when I do my show, like I'm literally like every night I mean there is there is like a tiny feeling of like shame because it's a vulnerable like the character is very personal it's very me it's like it's you know I'm really going out there every time and being like I'm gonna be an idiot and you're gonna laugh at me but the the amount of incredible the high that I get from that is like no other comedy high I've ever had and it's definitely a spiritual experience I mean it definitely has has elevated that art form for me of experience of like real oneness with others. And so I think that when you're like the basis of the basis of the workshop for me is about connection and that when you have that connection and you can make the audience fall in love with you um, because you're, because you're so purely there and you're so purely present with them and you're so open uh, to being connected with, uh, that's just a spiritual experience. Like yeah. it's not about, you know, it's not about you putting up walls and, and people falling for your walls. It's about you being a pure expression of the human experience and people resonating with that. And then it's about neither you or the audience member. It's about something way greater than that. Yeah. yeah. That's fucking beautiful. Yeah. That's, yeah. Really awesome. Yeah. Uh, 
curious about what what are the limitations of the traditional way that improv is taught and well i mean like so for example i'll just talk about like the myth of del close right so del close is this mythic figure from the chicago improv scene and you know he was a I mean, he was a crazy drug addict eccentric, right? He was definitely, like, out there in a lot of ways. But, like, he was also very open to experimentation. And, like, people who come back, you know, people who have trained with him come back with stories about, like, how he was, like, you know, he wanted everyone to be cavemen. And he wanted everyone to, like, you know, do improv on the street. Or he was was interested in, I think, this three-dimensionality that I'm kind of talking about in terms of, like, or a certain kind of playfulness. And... Um, the Upright Citizens Brigade, uh, who started kind of, well, they started in Chicago, but like they formed their school in New York, kind of like boiled down everything that they st- learned about Del Close. And they, and when they talk about Del Close, they're like, he invented the Herald. And the Herald is scene one, scene, you know, opening, scene one, scene two, scene three, group scene. Scene one, scene two, scene three, group scene. Tie scenes together. Ending. And it's like, and there's literally a diagram in their manual about how to do the Herald. And like, I think Del, I mean, like, I don't want to speak for him or his ghost, but like, that's not, that's not who he was. And that's not what, and I, and, and he also is not the end all and be all of everything, but I just use him as an example of like, he was a spirit who believed in, who believed in improvisation as an art, which I do as well, um, and believed that there were a gr- that there were incredible possibilities when we just open our mind to the fact that, like, if we if we train ourselves in the discipline of being present, incredible things can happen. Yeah. And that message has been, I think, really distorted, so that people are training to be these kind of like sitcom comedy writers now and so they all stand up and they stand you know they're they're totally out of their body they're not working from their body at all they're working from their head they're trying to like find a game with their brains and i just don't think it's that funny i think it doesn't do it for me so i think that like some of the people i trained with in new york were not like were sort of pre-ucb and they were a bit more playful and like theatrical in terms of how they use their bodies and like and I think they were more interested in making theater than comedy. And even though what they did was very funny, it was a bit more embodied, as in it was just more physical and more playful and more experimental that way. And I, but I think that UCB has grown so popular, and so many kind of stars have come out of that yeah. um, factory that uh, that people like all over the English-speaking world have, and and probably larger larger than that, have really um, kind of limited themselves in terms of how they approach the art of improv comedy now. I think it will probably change. You know, I can see people getting tired of, like, standing, you know, two feet away from each other and just talking at each other for a scene and then having somebody run across and start a new scene. Like, I think, you know, I do think that, like, there is some universal, like, huh, there's only other improvisers who are really enjoying this. Like, except for Bellingham, because for some reason in Bellingham, audiences love... They love... They're so generous. The talking head scene? I don't know. The people... The audiences at the upfront are just like, Woo! Give us this sweet-ass improv! But, like, everywhere else I've been, the only people in the audience are other improvisers. Yeah. You know? I think Bellingham has this weird... It's in this perfect location where all of the other towns around it don't... uh, The only other option is Seattle or Vancouver. Right. So there's sort of this flocking to Bellingham. And I think the upfront has... Uh, the the mythical creature of Ryan Styles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who's, I mean, who is super embodied? Yeah, you know, who's, yeah. who's always physical and always theatrical. 
so I've started doing, I mean, so I've started doing more improv comedy there yeah. and it's interesting for me to figure out like, how do I, how do I find pleasure in a form where I feel like a lot of people around me are trained in a way that isn't as fun for me to play, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like that, that'll just be an interesting dance. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, when I rule the world, uh, improv will be, <laughs> you know, just come from a way more physical place and um, will be a lot more, will, will find the absurd quicker and find the ridiculous quicker. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's like there's a different, I mean, it's like what I was talking about earlier. There's like a different kind of laughter. Like um, there's a different quality to the laughter. Yeah. When you're when you are in your own ridiculousness, like the laughter that comes out of people, is way different than the oh that person nailed that game yeah. ha 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 you know it's just different. It's the you had to be there type of laughter. Yeah. You try to tell someone after the show, and it's like I can't, yeah. I can't get it. I can't in words tell you this feeling that I was, I had. Right. It's more of a feeling than yeah. like you know. And I think audiences are really nice, and they will laugh. They will laugh when they're supposed to. Like. They will laugh in the slot that you designate that says laugh here. They will, yeah. but it won't be a really deep laugh, but they'll laugh, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think that we, I think that, that we shouldn't rest on our laurels there. Cause like, just cause they laugh in the slot that says laugh here doesn't mean that we really did something funny. Yeah. And that's, I, I've seen time and time again, when improvisers do a thing and they get the audience to laugh, they find that other thing to start hanging on to. And I think what it's about letting go of things is really yeah. nice. instead yeah. of and that's especially with the because I'm I agree with you very passionately about the uh, upright citizens brigade and how it's you use the word factory which is I mean it's a way to in my humble opinion it is a way to have uh, to get one thousand to two hundred dollars from students who are hoping to get fame which is. I mean, the students' intentions, I don't think, are great from the get-go. Yeah, and it's, and it's right. a machine that they're willing to get plugged into. So, but right. yeah, that's I the 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 spirit <laughs> the spirit of yeah. improv is lost. Yeah. Have you seen Don't Think Twice? I have seen Don't Think Twice. It's nice, huh? The thing I really like about that movie is the way that the improv is shot, because uh, I watched a little thing about Mike Birbiglia talking about it, and he was talking about how like just watching just shooting the theater, just shooting two people on stage is really boring, which yeah. is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. And so what he decided to do is he decided to shoot it like like a fight scene or like a dance where the camera is almost like behaving like one of the improvisers. So it's really in oh, yeah, the movement. And it made a big difference in terms of our experience of the improv. And like, that's like... Hello, like, like that's how that's how we that the audience needs to be that camera. They need to be yeah. in and around it. They need to feel it all around them in this three dimensional way. And I appreciate that he did that at least for that movie. You yeah, because I think that he captured. I think he captured. You know, doing improv is way more fun than watching it most of the time. Oh my god! Because you're in it. Yeah. So. And then you're, oh, I, I've just had the experience where I'm in the audience and I'm watching an improv scene. It's like, there's either one of two things where they're all doing so good that I want to be a part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Or they're they're not, like, they're not engaged yeah. and I want to be part of it because it's like, You oh, want to well, fix it. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is, the, yeah. maybe that's the, the prescriptive doctor in me. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you're playing at home, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. seriously. Yeah. You've mentioned it a couple times, and I just want to... Yeah, I want to touch this, and I want to talk about whatever you want to talk about. But you've used the word present 
and that's a hot button word for me right now because I'm trying to employ that in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when you employ it in your life, I think you start employing it on stage mm-hmm. more readily. The question, and this is sort of uh, how do you fix the world's problems, Deanna, question, mm-hmm. but how do you get people who are not being present on stage to be present? As a director slash teacher, I call them out. It's kind of impossible. I think that in the work I'm doing, because they are connecting with the audience, so if they're, so I can tell if they're not, like, you know, the... I'm interested in in the performer always being in conversation with the audience. And I don't necessarily mean verbally. I mean energetically. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I train people to do is how to have an energetic conversation with the audience. um, Which is about subtext and about eye contact and about receiving and giving energy. And so I practice those skills in my workshops. And then when I have people on stage, if they're not... You can just tell, like either their eyes are kind of like back in their heads and you can tell that they're thinking or their eyes are with audience members and you can tell that they're seeing what the audience members are feeling. I mean, that's it's like it's such a black and white. It's just so obvious, yeah. you know, yeah. either they're with us or they're not with us. Yeah, they're h- human beings <laughs> like it's being. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that I think there is something about I think that when we see others we are in an act of being present and we are in an act of like forgetting the self in that moment, right? Like when we're seeing like, okay, how is that, what is that person experiencing right now? We're not thinking about whatever is in our own brain. And so we're more present. Yeah. And that's the not being present is so devastating to, uh, because not being present, I feel like starts compounding itself on top of itself. So if you're not, if you're thinking, if you get on stage and you're thinking about, what is the audience thinking about me? Then you're, then you start becoming self-critical, and then you start worrying about the self-critic, and then you start putting the self-critic in the audience, and then you're imagining that the audience is all thinking the worst possible thing, and you're slowly taking your step further and further and further away, like That's step true. by step away from being from the in presence the of just the connection of being in the moment. Yeah, yeah and I mean, I, I do think that like a lot of our insecurities come out in the work I do because it is like. Right, like, what do they think about me? Do they love me? They don't love me? What am I doing that makes me not lovable? I think that some of the beauty of what happens in workshop is that, like, if they are not lovable and they allow themselves to be like, oh, fuck, like, I'm not being lovable right now, they can, they're not loving me, then that is lovable. Like, that honesty becomes (laughs) lovable. Um, Pierces the veil for a second. Right. But, yeah, it's, like, it's interesting, you know? I mean, I think that, like... I mean, I guess that's one of the reasons why I don't work with scripts very much is because, like, I think it's way easier to just memorize lines and, like, get all wrapped up in your blanket of lines and not really be present. You know, when I develop work with people that is repeatable, there's some kind of script, but hopefully it's a script that they've developed themselves and are invested in. So there's a little bit more connection. It's a little bit harder to, like not be present with something you yourself have created, I think. That's true. Uh, when you're, I'm curious, when you're you're devising a piece with other people, uh-huh. how much push and pull is there between uh, you as the director and them as the cast? How much control is allowed for each of those two sectors? I think of my job as the director as to facilitate 
their vision and to be as much like the outside eye that they would be for themselves as I can be. So ultimately, like, I feel like I'm trying to doula somebody else's baby. You know, you know, I think that people come to me. I usually like people come to me with an idea or a character or something that they already have. Like it's, it's very rare. I can't, I'm trying to think if there's any time that anybody's come with, come to me and asked me to direct something or help them co-create something where I just had free reign to develop. And no, I don't think that's ever happened. Uh, I just don't think it happens because I think that people have their own babies that they want birthed and they want me to help them birth their babies, but like they don't want me to like inseminate them with my baby. (laughs) Even though like often, like there's been many occasions where I'm kind of like, oh, that's the baby you want me to birth for you? Like I could give you a way better baby. But you know, I mean, I go where the, you know, I go where the work is. So like if somebody's hiring me to do something, like I'm gonna do what they ask me to do. And then it's my job to just do the best I can with, with an idea that's being presented and I I mean I think that if somebody has a shit bad idea for a show they want to make or if it's going to be a really if it's going to be awful like I'm not going to spend time working on it but I mean usually like there's beauty that can be found and you know just about any you know or or I don't like I don't work with performers that I'm not interested in working with you know it's not really worth it for me yeah so I think it's about like you know I use video a lot like I want the performer to watch themselves and to like develop a little bit of their own like their own kind of like outside eye. Yeah, that's the most honest critic is watching a video of yourself perform because it's the, you can't escape what happened. Yeah, and you have to get over it. Like I yeah. think a lot of performers are really precious about like oh, I can't watch myself on video, and it's like well, fuck you. Like yeah, you can. You know, like we need to we need to have. I think that all like performer creators need to have a bunch of different hats in their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Like they need to be performers, they need to be directors, they need to be writers, and they they can't wear all those hats at once. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's not good for performers to try and direct themselves. You know, so my job as an outside eye or as a director is to wear that hat for them. But then when we, you know, so when we're in the studio, like I'm wearing that hat. But then when we, uh, when we sit down to watch the video, like they have to wear that hat too. And we have to see like, okay, are we seeing eye to eye about what we're seeing here? And usually we are. Like, I think, you know, usually a performer will watch a video and be like, oh yeah, I see what you mean. You know, and it really, it helps my work when they can wear that hat sometimes, you yeah. know, and then take it off for the playful times. Yeah, when they have it, because that's, I mean, that's you have to confront that honesty. Like, oh, it's kind of a, a strange comparison, but it's an apt comparison is for this podcast, I have had to get over my own voice and the way that I speak because I don't hear my voice anywhere close to how it actually sounds. So it's, that's sort of, I've, I've had this perception of myself and there's an objective truth that's coming to me. It's that's like, super I, interesting. Yeah, and so th- that's just, I guess that's sort of a comparison that I Absolutely. draw. Absolutely, yeah. Yes. I think a lot of people have that with their oh, voice. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's very hard to hear your own. The first time you hear your voice, you're like, like, I sound like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm so smart in my own brain. Like the way my, like the way the words are for, it's like, that's brilliant. But then when it comes out, yeah, why do I sound like, like a seventh grade teenager? Yeah, how do I yeah. have friends? Yeah, <laughs> I know. How do I have friends? How do people like me? When yeah. I talk this way, I know. Um, uh, awesome. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't discussed? I don't think so. I mean, I'm curious, like, are you, when you say, like, for me, the weird artistic director suggests, like, are you talking, and when I when I was asking you what an artistic director was, it sounded like you were talking about improv, improv artistic yeah. directors. 
So that's that's what I'm basing uh-huh. this out of, and that's definitely where I'm most comfortable talking, and uh-huh. that's where I've, I started with this. I'm slowly, this has been, I believe you're the ninth episode I've recorded, uh-huh. and in, the, in this short amount of time, my intentions and my understandings and my definitions have rapidly been shifting back and forth and mm. back and forth and back and forth. Mm-hmm. So I'm at a point where uh, I'm really interested to see how far can the definition of uh, artistic director be mm-hmm. stretched and pulled. Um, mm-hmm. One of the suggestions that I've gotten, I'm really interested in, uh, in doing this, is someone, uh, there's a new place in Bellingham called the Rook and Rogue. Yeah. Uh, and it's a it's a board game pub. Yeah. And one of the owners really, really likes uh, DMing in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh-huh. He likes being the dungeon master. Yeah. To me, that is an, Absolutely. An, artistic, That's an director. artistic director. Yeah. And so th- this is sort of turned into exploring in what ways, because it's really just when you, you put on that hat, when you take the hat of I am directing and there is a group of people and I am going to be their outside the outside eye for them. That's mm-hmm. a great, great, great way to say that, actually. Yeah. I'm interested in how many different facets in life can we find, or can I find, uh, that this exists in. Mm-hmm. And I want to get those perspectives. Mm-hmm. I want to get a perspective from this facet, and this cool. facet, and this facet. And so improv is certainly my base, and that's definitely where I'm going to be. I have a lot of uh, artistic directors in terms of improv that I'm visiting, but uh-huh. I'm really interested in children's theater. Uh-huh. Really interested in just theatrical performance uh-huh. in general, and like, yeah, weird fringe stuff. I want to find that, and just that's it, it's going to be an exploratory experience cool. for sure. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Great. Um, well, perfect. Yeah, this is you know what this is about. We're right at forty minutes, and this is kind of where I want to start landing episodes. So please, Great. it's going to be weird because these every episode up into you is going to be about an hour long, and so you're people gonna, are going to listen to mine first. Yeah, gonna be like, exactly. Fuck yeah, it's yeah, a short yeah, one. Don't want to deal with the hour. <laughs> um, Deanna, if people want to find you online, uh, where can they find you? Slash, do you have any plugs that are coming up? Uh, probably not immediately from the state, but in a in a little bit. Um, uh, my website is buttkapinski.com, B-U-T-T-K-A-P-I-N-S-K-I. That's the best way to find all things about me. I have okay. a blog, um, the Naked Comedy blog, which is linked on there, and I have tour dates and stuff on there, too. Okay, awesome. And then I really like uh, ending my episodes with, can you give one recommendation of anything at all? Uh, so it can be a book, a movie, uh, a thing to do in your everyday life. Just any, just one single thing of anything at all. There's a podcast that I'm addicted to right now called You Must Remember This. Uh, it's a podcast. So I, I actually have a lot of difficulty with the woman's voice. Uh, speaking of voices, okay, she's got a lot of vocal fry and she sounds kind of like a valley girl. Well, it's bad, but like, but the, but the podcast is excellent. It's super well researched. I'll see if I can do an imitation of her. Um... <laughs> Welcome to another episode of You Must Remember This, the podcast dedicated to the secret and forgotten history of Hollywood's first century, part of the Panoply Network. So that's verbatim what she says in the beginning. And at first I was like, there's no way I can listen to her voice. But she's so smart yeah. and she researches so well. It's such a good podcast. And if you're if you're a geek about Hollywood history like I am, it is delicious. Okay. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Deanna, thank you so much for being on this. Thank uh, you. And, uh, 
And you can find me, you can find this podcast on Facebook and SoundCloud and iTunes. And have a nice day, listener. Yay!